Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and today we've got Brant Brinkerhoff. How you doing? hey I'm doing good. Doing good. good. Busy, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. You've got Oros, your Kickstarter, coming in less than a week. I mean, it'll be like two days ago or three days ago that it starts from when this airs. I don't know. When is this airing? I don't know. It's going to hit July 20th. So whenever this airs, July that many days till July 20th. From when we're <laughs> recording this, though, yeah, it's like six days away. Six days away. And it's uh, pretty impressive, like uh, <laughs> the intensity of all the things, you know, making sure all the check boxes are all made and all that stuff is, is done. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty intense. <laughs> I mean, which is really cool to hear that you're not going in. I don't know if anybody goes into a Kickstarter now. I'm sure people do with absolutely nothing planned as far as like international shipping or production or all that. But but you're you're on that already, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, that's a smart way to do it. Uh, definitely. There are people who do not do that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and usually those are the campaigns that, that struggle along the way, at least, the, you know, from what you know you can kind of tell or. So yeah, it, and there's just a checklist a mile long of all the things that you can possibly do to be prepared. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm about halfway through that list or something, <laughs> you know, there's still, there's still more to do. Um, but, but, uh, enough that, um, a campaign can launch and people can know about it and can see it and can say, yes, like that, that's backable, right. Without, without too much hesitation or question. And I think that's what's critical, right? Because the, ca- the campaign is not meant to be campaign ends, files release, three months later, games delivered, right? This is really like a, a moment in time where funding is able to come in, which will then actually be able to, f- you know, complete the, the full project. And so, yes, manufacturing is part of that, but also, you know, the, one of the joys of having a campaign, a Kickstarter campaign or some sort of crowdfunding is that you know, the people who are backing it have a, a bit of a say, right? They can, they can comment and they can say, Hey, we request this or that. And if that's a great idea, perfect. Right. Like I love great ideas. If it's a good idea, it's in. Right. And so yeah. um, that's also one of the benefits, but that also just means that there's some development time to make sure that that, you know, whatever you're adding um, isn't a going to break the, you know, the, the costs of the game, but also that it's going to work for the game and it's, it's well-developed and, you know, it, it's not, misbalanced or anything like that. And so um, there's, so there's some, some time there, but that's one of the joys of, of doing it this way, I guess is, you know, the, it, it doesn't have to all be hundred percent done printing tomorrow type of thing. Yeah. Well, and especially with everything that's been going on overseas anyway, with shortages of materials, uh, shortages of containers, everything. It's just yeah, even, even delays, power delays. Yeah. yeah. Power, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. It's very true. And it seems like from what I've heard and the reports that I'm getting from people is that things are like showing signs of improvement. You know, it's not okay. like it's it's just like still just tanking, tanking, tanking. It's like we're seeing a swing back to a little bit more of norm- normalcy. But that's the thing with the pandemic is that like there's also waves. Right. And so uh, it, it's just hard to predict, the, you know, yes, like things aren't always going to tank. They're going to come back, but it's likely that it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster and not a. Not a, just a, a beautiful climb back up to being normal, right? And so, yeah, which is, oh, and so I'm definitely hedging on there, there's going to be some things coming my way. And so, at least with the timeline and th- things like that, making sure that there's buffer, there's room, right? Because, like, hypothetically, 
we should be able to like do this really quickly and have like a really good timeline if everything goes well. But we're planning for a much more, a much longer timeline just because after watching 2020 happen, we, we should all, <laughs> we should all know, right? Like that's what, you know, we've got to plan for that because otherwise uh, it's a really hard, it's a hard and disappointing time to, to get through. So. Well, and then there's also just, there's all the other games that are on their backlog now that, are delayed and so yeah. they're going to be fulfilling all of that stuff and, and yep. manufacturing all that stuff. So, so you're kind of going to be at the back of that queue. Yep. 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 And you have to, yeah, there's a lot to account for, for sure. Especially yeah. with the manufacturing, freighting, all of that stuff. So you're just hoping and praying, but the, by the time it gets around to that point where manufacturing needs to begin or the part, the point where freight needs to happen, that uh, the industry's figured itself out. yeah you know it's a little bit more normal uh rather than like these these crazy astronomical prices that you hear about right and yeah how are you handling that is we're gonna talk about the game actually and other things as well. (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious because you're in it right now but how are you going to handle shipping at this point because a lot of times you can give a quote for shipping during the campaign, but prices are like super high. And so I know some people are putting off their pledge manager until they're like really close to the shipping date. Yeah. It's really an unfortunate thing the way that the process works because the pledge manager needs to happen and close and be locked in order to figure out your manufacturing. Right. So, so like you need to know exactly how many you're manufacturing and where those those boxes are going, um, especially if you're doing localization where you'll have multiple languages, you need to know, you know, which, you know, how many of each type uh, of language you're, you know, so you have to run your pledge manager and it has to be locked, but that will happen months before it's manufactured right, and ready to ship. And so by the time you get back down the pike, right, to where now it needs to ship, now we're actually seeing like real shipping costs. And so if if things were miscalculated upstream, it's it's tough, right? Because like, you know, you're you're kind of stuck. So that's one of the that's one of the hard things with Kickstarter. And that's where um, a lot of publishers they don't want to run through Kickstarter. And a lot of it comes down to this because the shipping actually costs usually far more than the actual manufacturing of the game itself. It's, it's the, by far the largest cost of the whole thing, which is why through Kickstarters, it's, it's usually handled separately um, because right. it's, it's very regional. It all comes down to like where the distribution center, like where it's all being shipped from. And there's just like so many factors. It's just really unwise to say blanket shipping, everywhere around the world because that's just not a reality right like you have to, yeah. you have to factor in um where these things are coming from and and current rates when it's actually shipping so it's tough it, it, the the best way to do it would be to have a pledge manager that that can lock the order but then at shipping actually do the billing right where you can actually instead of saying we'll charge you a general you know average of whatever, 10, 15, $20 or whatever it is to ship, we could say, well, to you, it's going to cost $7 and 43 cents, but for them, it's going to cost $12 and 86 cents because that's the actual cost, right? Like that would be the ideal way to do this. Um, But the unfortunate thing is the pledge manager, you have to, you know, unless people are willing to do a pledge manager twice and, and pay for the shipping later, it's, it's just a really, really tough thing. So usually people just generalize, give an average, and, and then hope that it like actually averages out 
And that's just the nature of the process. That was probably way more information than you were ever hoping to get. There you no, go. that's actually that's what I wanted. <laughs> There's something I can count on you. It's for details. <laughs> Too much. Very well explained. TMI. <laughs> for people who didn't listen to Nerding Out, Brant was on there twice. Once was we talked about you make really high quality prototypes. Yeah, like handmade uh, prototypes. Yep. Yeah. Like down to the box, the fig, the yeah, everything, the board, and uh, I haven't been able to see any in person yet, but I will because we will. don't live that far we will. away. We'll we'll play together in person. We'll yeah. we'll make this happen. Probably after uh, after the <laughs> probably after the campaign when I can actually <laughs> breathe again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the other time was for Proto Synthesis, which is now ProtoCon Online, mm-hmm. and so yeah, you you were a great guest for both those. Thanks. And now you're a terrible guest. Now, no, now it's just thinking. Yeah, you, you saw the yeah. peak. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been really excited to have you back on. I was like feeling antsy to have you on, and I probably should have had you on earlier, but I've I've had like a backlog of guests That's right. that I needed to get to. And I was like, all right, I can't put this off anymore. I need to get Brant on because his <laughs> Kickstarter is coming. I love so. it. No, I'm glad to be here. Now, well, let's talk about what got you into board gaming in general. Oh, board. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I've actually been like settlers of Catan in high school, right? Like way back in the day. And, uh, it was probably my mom who bought the game when we had a whole bunch of board games growing up, just like your typical family games. And there are still some of those like weird niche games that, uh, you know, as a kid, you never knew how to play like Pipeworks, but now you, you, now you get that game and you're like, Oh, pipe works right and and you actually can play the real game because before it was kids we were just like look we can make things connect and had no idea what was going on but always enjoyed those types of things but it was in like high schoolish where i I, know i think it was my mom just like randomly picked up a a copy of settlers yeah and and that's where i was like oh this is like a real game and this is like really fun and so we play that a lot and then also had like a copy of a what was it killer bunnies you know, like, oh, uh, yeah. like super random, crazy card game that I just, you know, it was a lot of fun. A lot of people didn't like it because it's just, it's a crazy game. It's, it's, it's bizarre, crazy game. And it's really big with all the expansions and stuff, but you know, I'd play that a, a lot. And so that's kind of where that's all started. And then as, uh, through college and then moving out and, uh, living away from home where basically your friends become your family. And so, it's a lot easier to play games with friends than it is with family. Usually your family, I don't know. I don't know about yours, but mine's like, they're not gamers, right? And so yeah. you have friends that have games. <laughs> and so that's where a lot of things would pick up, right? And start playing all sorts of, you know, more games and starting to become more familiar with the gaming world and the different opportunities that are within the gaming world. That's where it all started. Nice. I, I just, it. Again, I'm just like, I just keep talking. I just keep going. Do it. Hey, no worries. <laughs> this, this is all about you. So you should talk. <laughs> That's why I'm the host is so that I don't have to talk that much. <laughs> I can oh, just man. ask a question and then sit back. <laughs> so I just listen uh, to the ramble. Yikes. <laughs> uh, and you're married. Do you have kids? I do. I have four kids. So how old's the oldest? So uh, oldest is 12 and that goes all the way down to five, six, okay. five. So five or six. Big important question. Yeah. Your wife and your kids play board games with you. 
Yeah, so usually every Sunday we'll at least play like one game together at the very least. Uh, I used to do that a lot more. We used to play a lot more games uh, throughout the week because um, they really enjoy playing the games, especially the older kids. The younger ones, they love playing, but, uh, you know, they have to be that level, right? I've got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and seven-year-old. Yeah, those are the younger ones. So they can't quite, you know, play uh, Ticket to Ride, right? It's still right. too young for them. Even though it's an easy game, it's still too young for them. But the uh, the older two... Uh, they, they love it. This last week we played, uh, shelfie stacker, which is a Kickstarter back that showed up on Sunday. And I was like, sweet, let's open this up and we'll play a game. So they do love, they do love playing, they playing games. They have not played my game yet though. Okay. I was going to ask, are they sick of it yet? But they haven't even played it. (laughs) No, no. My my wife has played it a few times. She's not a huge gamer. So she, she likes lighter, lighter weight games uh, that are like really simple to learn and simple to play. Um, she doesn't like the bigger, heavier stuff like my game, which is a lot more complex. But the game is like my game is uh, it's not really for kids. Uh, you, you know, it's it's not and even though kids could play it and especially kids that are really smart will probably actually like really enjoy it. There's enough to it that it's it's pretty difficult to actually think through all of the implications of everything you're doing all the time. Right. And so and so that, that to me is very enriching. I, I really like that. Yeah. In a game, you know, I like being able to like think through all of these different things and see how systems come together and how I can exploit them to, to, you know, to do things better than someone else. Um, that's like a, a fun activity for a game for me, <laughs> but it's not for everybody, right? Like some people right. are like, no, I just want to sit back. I want to draw a tile and I want to put it down and I want to think about it for the next, you know, few turns until it's my turn again, you know, and some people like they prefer that. So anyway, I mean, I think, I genuinely think my wife will enjoy Oros. I don't think it's, I think it seems complicated at first, but then within the first, like, well, definitely there's things that you realize like mid game where you're like, Oh, all of a sudden that clicks. I should have been doing this yep, next yep, game, yep. you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It takes uh, about a half, half a game before you're like, okay, I see what's going on. I see that there's a system here, Yeah, but it's going to take two or three games to get good. At yes. actually like really using everything that's at your control. Because at first you're like, okay, I can shift things. That sounds fun, right? And you do it. And you're like, how fun? But you don't realize like, <laughs> no, like that's that's a very tactical thing to do. And like when you collide things, when you erupt things, when you journey rather than like or when you study, when you don't study, like all of the different actions in the game, they all have some sort of tactical advantage. And uh, it takes a little bit of time to say like, I see why that's tactical over this one. And I see why I need them both. Right. Instead of just like, I just keep using the same action over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. (laughs) Um, You're missing out on some like really big tactical um, advantages that you could have. And so, and so again, it's just experience. You just have to play a few times and, and explore and try different things. And that's usually the aha moments for people. Right. That they're yeah. like, oh, oh, wow. I can do that if I have that power. Oh, man, I need that power. You know? So, yeah. When, when we played, that was, oh, boy, it was over a year ago now. Yeah. Had been but, a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. I need, I'm excited to play it again. But, uh, they, I was the new, the newbie and everyone else had played. And so by the end, I think I was, I was by far the loser. <laughs> But I had a lot of fun playing it. At the end, I was just like, that was really fun. Even though I lost 
horribly yeah. like <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but i was like instantly i knew if i played this again i would know a lot better what to do and i think i'd be at least closer yeah. in score <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah let's let's dive in let's talk about what oros is let's first talk about uh like thematically what's going on and then we can talk mechanically is that is that uh yeah, work i think that's perfect all right thematically uh you are players are the are these demigods that have been sent out from this this faceless wise one, this wise one who who controls the knowledge and the wisdom of the world, and um, has sent these demigods out across the world, endowed them with incredible power to be able to control the landscape. And their their uh, your objective is to gather up your followers and train, lead them, guide them to the mountains where they can build sacred sites, where they can study, where they can learn that same higher knowledge. And so thematically, it has this like. Uh, this this underpinning of really what uh, our human history is anciently, right? Like these are these are themes that uh, you can find through almost all religious works across all of the world in different cultures all over the place. There are these very common themes, um, and so it's drawing on. It's not just one. Uh, it's not just like this is just you know all based on Greek or Egyptian or Mayan or anything like that. It's actually pulling from all these different ancient uh, sources and finding the common threads. And that's where thematically the, the game is based. The whole thing is like founded on that. In addition to that, it, it relates, it, it uses a lot of, like, it's all based on threes and sevens, which are also these like cosmic numbers and things like that. So there's a lot of these little ties that people like probably don't notice and they probably wouldn't recognize until uh, you're a person who's like into that stuff. And then you're like, I, I see like these themes, I see these threads and I see how it's tied together. Um, that type of stuff gets me really excited. So, um, and, and I know it's super esoteric and super like, like most people are going to completely miss that, but there's a lot of like fun little things boiled down in there that if you knew the backstory, you can be like, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting how it's tied together. What does Oros even mean? Oros is a Greek for mountain. It's also the root for the the geologic term orogenesis, which is the scientific word for like how mountains are formed using seismic activity. So the, the basic idea is, you know, you have large land masses and as they move together, as they shift and collide together, um, they can't buckle over each other. So what they, you know, they can't slide over each other. So what they do is they buckle, right? And so that's how like the great mountain ranges around the world, uh, most of them were formed through the process of orogenesis, right? So it's the process of creating mountains. And that's uh, a big part of the game of Oros. Uh, you're creating mountains and then you're sending your followers to those mountains. And so it has that anthropological tie to like the significance of mountains and, and associating that with a higher knowledge or gnosis or, you know, some spirituality or whatever, um, you know, word is used transcendence or whatever it is. It's often tied to like the, this concept of a mountain and this higher elevation. And so it, the game like ties those two things together. Uh, you're forming the mountains, then you're, you're going and you're building sacred places on those mountains. And that's basically the big part of the game. And that's how you're going to win the game too. Uh, the more you build, uh, the better you're going to do. Uh, because uh, the more you build, you'll get wisdom and wisdom makes you more powerful and it also makes you uh, more points. And so that's kind of your currency in the game. The more wisdom you get, the you're able to amplify the powers that you have, your abilities um, or the value of the sites that you're building. And so a lot of the game is balancing. Uh, there's a player map that's in front of you and, and, and I'd say 
more than half of the game is about that player mat. It's about managing that, like what's happening right in front of you, how your followers are moving, how your wisdom is being invested. And then the second half is out on the map itself, manipulating the tiles and the landscape and just to be able to get to place to place um, to be able to, to build what you need to build. And really the person who wins is usually the person who wastes the less, the least, right? Like if you, if you can take advantage, you have three actions every turn. If you take full advantage of all three of those actions and you don't waste those actions, you'll likely do really well. And, if, and same with the way you invest your wisdom. If you waste any of those wisdom that you gain throughout the game, you're wasting a resource, you probably won't do that well. And so it's really about uh, the efficiency of, of that player mat and, and, and you. Anyway, I was thinking about this yesterday. That's why I'm like bringing this up. It's all about like not wasting things. And that's mm-hmm. one of the mistakes that new players make is that they say, oh, I've got this extra turn. I don't know. I'll just waste it on. I'll erupt this volcano. And it has no purpose. It has no value to them. <laughs> but they just did it because they're like, oh, I had an extra. I guess I'll just use it. And the game's designed that like there's that you can play and there's, there's absolutely no reason to ever waste an action. Not ever. And usually the person who wins is the person who, who wasted the least, right, uh, as they played the game. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Hence why I lost terribly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it's a learning thing, right? Like you learn how to not waste things, right? To take yeah. advantage of every single action space. You need all six actions to play the game you, and, and you will t- be taking all six. There's like really, if you tried to just use one over and over again, which is one of the problems with like some worker placement games and some uh, strategy games, especially when there's asymmetry involved, like, Sometimes people will just be like, I'll do this action over, 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 and I win, right? And the, and with words, you can't, you just can't do it. If you try to do it, um, you're just wasting opportunities. And like I said, the more waste, the less likely you are to win. So you actually have to like play a very broad strategy. You have to be aware of everything that you can possibly do to take advantage of it or else. Uh, anyway, it creates a, a nice, rich, very layered uh, play experience that is very rewarding as you invest yourself in it. You know, the more you invest of yourself, the more rewarding the game gives back to you. I loved how you handled kind of the, I don't even know what mechanic you would call this, but almost like worker placement slash abilities. Uh, like when you use an ability, you have to send one of your your followers there. And then that blocks that ability from being used again until you move that follower to a different ability to use it. And then it frees it back up. And so it's like, you can't just tile shift, tile shift, tile shift, you know, like you've got to keep it moving. And, and, and so investing in the leveling up your abilities is really important investor. And then using all of them to free up more space. Like it's just, it's mind blowing how, how beautifully it all works together. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, it's very true. And, and um, I've had people comment on that too, that when you, know, you think of worker placement, usually you have a pool of workers and you're placing them on something. And when you place it there, no one else can go there. And so if somebody went to the spot you needed, now you have to wait for them to get off that spot so you can go there. And that's usually the tension that's in a worker placement game. And with Oros, it, again, it, it, it takes a familiar idea, but it, it transforms it into something uh, that's, that's fairly unique. At least that I've never actually seen another game that's doing this. And, and I'm, I, I feel like there's got to be other games that do this, but I don't know of them. But yeah, like when you take an action, you're moving to an action space and you're blocking that space from yourself. 
And so you can't blame the other player for being in your way. You can only blame yourself for being in your way, right? And so um, there's, a, a, like I said, like 50% of the game is just paying attention to your action spaces and figuring out the right sequence to take actions to be able to accomplish what you need to do. And you're always going to be limited because, uh, you know, everybody would love to study, 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 return and get wisdom, right? Like, but there's this governor where like, if you take that action, you can't take it again. You've got to move off and then you can go back, right? And so it forces you to play the full board. It forces you to like really engage every aspect of the game, which again, it's, it's, I, I think it's a really great thing because uh, no game would play out the same way just because of you know your sequence of events. You, you take one action in a different order it changes everything throughout the game of like what your opportunities are. So I don't know if we want to dive into what all six of the actions are. I can quickly run through them. Yeah. Um, why not? So uh, three of the, so there are six action spaces, three of them control the land. So they will be w- what's controlling the landscape, what's out on the map. And then the other three are controlling your civilization, essentially, and the way that you develop the, your, your people. And so the first three actions are, there's a shift action. A shift action is kind of like a giant conveyor belt that's below the map that just turns on and everything that's in that row mo- starts, starts to move. And so a shift action can move like a whole row of land can shift. Um, and, and so, uh, shift actions, you can do up one space, but you can improve your abilities to be able to go up to three spaces. And so you can make some pretty big adjustments on the map and, uh, anything that's on those tiles moves with the tiles. And so like a lot of people say like, it's, it's kind of like, a it's like a little transporter where your little person's on a tile and you can shift the land and they'll move with the land. Right. So it's a way for you to get around the map. Um, so that's the shift action and it's, uh, it's, it's really good for long distances. And it's also the only way that you are going to be able to move mountains. Cause once a mountain is formed, it's stuck there forever. And so, uh, with the shift action, you can unlock the ability to actually move mountains, to shift those mountains. And so, um, it, again, so that's the big, that's the big advantage with the shift action with a move action. Uh, you're, you're grabbing small sets of tiles, one, two, or three that are in a row, and you'll move them all together. And wherever they move to, whatever happens, happens. So if they move to an open space that, you know, it'll just occupy that new space. But if a tile moves into another tile, those things are going to collide together and you'll add the value of those tiles together and that tile will become bigger. So if it was a two and a two and those collide together, that becomes a four. Right. And so they all build up to four. And if anything is ever over four, it becomes a volcano, which is just land that's sitting up on top of the land that can be erupted and poured back out. So move actions are the way you're going to form mountains. It's also how you kind of build up the land. And it's also ways that you can move stuff out of the way that block other players from being able to get to your stuff. Or, you know, you can use it very defensively um, as well as, you know, moving yourself around the map. But move actions are only ever one space. And so, there's a limit to like the distance, right? Like tiles that are close to each other can, can be moved, but things that are too far apart, you'll have to figure out a different, you know, different strategy. Then there's the erupt action. The erupt action is the way that you take those volcanoes that were forming as you collide land and you dump the land back out, right? So you're able to convert volcanoes into land. So if you think of there's like this contraction mechanic with move actions where things are colliding together and then eruption actions are this expansion concept where you're pouring land back out onto the map. And what's nice about that is uh, if you needed land on the left, you can collide land from the right 
to bring it there. And then you can erupt it off to the left, right? Because that's where you needed the land to be able to do whatever you needed to do. And so it's a way for you to control um, where land is at any given moment on the map, um, as well as making combinations or land bridges or whatever it is you need to do. So those are all of your, that's what you can do to the map itself. The next three actions are all about your civilization and, and uh, developing up your civilization. So the action spaces are like journey, which is how you're going to walk your little people around the map from tile to tile or up and down the sacred site stacks, which stack like little staircases. So there's a journey action for you to walk around. There's an action that's called uh, build. Whenever you get to a mountain, you can build on that mountain. Each player is only allowed to build once on each mountain. And so uh, when you build there, uh, once you're there, it's you, you kind of reap the benefits, but then uh, if you stay and other people build, you'll get wisdom for being there, but also you kind of need to get off of that so you can go build elsewhere. And so there's this conflict every player has to go through. Like, do I stay? Do I go? You know, which is going to be the best opportunity for me? Um, so there's the build action and that's where you're building sacred sites. And then finally, there's this action called study, which allows you to move your followers that are on your player mat out onto the map or into places of study, which are these like sacred areas on the map, on your player board, or out on the map, each of the sacred sites you build. What that does is it allows you to relieve the tension of your player map. Uh, because like we said, as you move your followers back and forth from action space to action space, the more followers you have on your player map, the more stuff is blocked. So it becomes, it, it's harder to actually play out your turn. So by moving those followers off, sending them to studies elsewhere, it relieves the tension of your player map. But at some point, you might want to bring those followers back because whenever they come back, they'll bring one wisdom with them, which is what makes you stronger, makes you more powerful, gives you more abilities, makes everything more efficient. So at some point, you're like, ooh, I love how free I am to take actions, but I need the wisdom. So you're going to bring them back and they're going to clog up your spaces again, right? So there's this constant flow of like, I got to send these away, got to get these guys away from me, but I also need them back just so I can take advantage of what they can give me. So that actually helped refresh me on a lot of things where I was like, oh, yeah, like I couldn't remember the temple building or the sacred site building. Uh, but but now it's like there's essentially three pieces could be built. So we were playing a four player game and and there were a lot of times where it had built twice. Someone, you know, one player had built another player had built on top of that. So there was one spot left and it was like, OK, like now it's a race. And I remember one time someone had powered up their volcano enough that it could kill me. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, you played a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, we, you changed that, that? So that actually isn't in there anymore. Where uh, oh. we're people's pieces anymore? Uh, because I found though I didn't find when uh, Jesse and Jan from Quackalope were playing. Jesse played in a way where he just amped up volcanoes to the top and then just attacked. The whole game. Oh no! It just like did nothing but like attack, and so it kind of it kind of exposed uh, an issue, like a potential issue, because what would happen? Because and, th- and there are ways to counteract that. There are ways to play the game where you can actually deal with that and still survive and still do really well. But for a new player, it, it's almost it's almost like impossible to, to counteract because you don't really know the strategies of how to like skip. So what do I do to get past that? And yeah. so. Um, anyway, so I've, I've since changed that volcano superpower. So you're not removing followers Uh-oh. anymore, which actually people have been like, Oh, thank you. Because now there's not that, like that really hard take that there's still a little bit of a take that just because like you can do an action that is inconvenient to another player, but it's never going to like 
completely thwart their game, right? Where it just yeah. like ruins what they can do. There, there's always a way to respond and a way to get back. It's just going to be inconvenient. But with that volcano action, it was like there was the potential of somebody like just completely tanking, you know, and not being able to recover, not being able to figure out how to recover. And so anyway, I've changed it so that the superpower now is the the lava can free flow across land edges. So it makes it just so like when you erupt a volcano, you can flow it around because usually when you erupt, it has to go in a straight line. It has to fill in the tile it's on first and then move to the next tile, fill that one in, move to the next tile, fill that one in. So there's some like limitations. It has to like just fill in the tiles. And then when uh, you unlock the fourth level ability, so across all of the the action spaces, there's a there's these abilities that amp them up. And at the fourth level, there's always this like superpower. There's like some like really great benefit. And so for volcanoes, you can erupt where you can flow it across land edges without having to fill in the tiles. So you could like ah. you could basically like zigzag land anywhere you want around the map and start to fill in the sp- the, the exact spot that you need even if there wasn't a volcano right there. And so it just gives you a lot of, a lot more flexibility with like, uh, it, it's, 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 it's actually really cool to, to play with, especially if you kind of know what you're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that idea because that was like, that was a turning point in the game for me when I got killed by a volcano and I was like, Oh, like I would have had the temple there. That would have gotten me up some points that would have gotten, you know, like, but now I have to restart pretty much all the way over here and get that person back. Like it, that was one of the biggest like take that moments that put yeah. me back. Yeah, it was a little too big, which didn't, yeah. like, it didn't really fit the spirit of the game too. Since the spirit, the, the game isn't about war. It's not about conquering. It's not about like, um, you, you know, you're not trying to like squash each other. Really, the game is very symbiotic. It's the things you do are going to help the people around you. The things that they do, they're going to help you. And you kind of don't want it too sometimes but sometimes you do sometimes you're there and you're like please build here so i can get some wisdom yeah so i can move on right and so you kind of like you sometimes you'll set people up just to build because it's going to help you but it's also helping them right so there's there's this like friendship symbiotic symbiosis right like theme that's part of it that like you want people to collaborate with you a little bit but it's still competitive right it's not cooperative at all right you're, you're still competing and you still want to win but you're relying on other people to, to make that, uh, to make that happen. And so um, again, like it, so the, the eruption, like killing off people, it just didn't right. It didn't fit the theme quite right. Right. Where it was just a little too aggressive. It didn't fit the, we're all after knowledge type of theme that, you know, the game is supposed to have. So nice. I like that change. That makes me really excited. Not that at that it didn't really hinder my fun by any means. I was just like, Oh no, you know, like, and as the new player, like, how do I come back from this? I didn't understand at that point, but, but it was, it was fair, you know, it was fine. But. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I really like the change. I really like the change a lot. I think it was a really, a really smart change. Um, that's made all the games going forward. have been like, I, I've just really loved it a, a lot more. So I like that idea a lot. Uh, being able to flow the lava. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> You're not biased at all, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the biggest challenge in designing the game? It's evolved over about the course of about four years. And there's some, been some really big moments where things were really hard to work through. Um, figuring out how to do scoring was extremely difficult. 
because my first approach was your standard trope of like, you've got this track that goes to a hundred and well, you're playing, you know, people are getting points and you're adding it up along the way. And, you know, it's just like the way that games work and um, it didn't work with this game. It just didn't like that concept does not jive with how the game plays. And so it was really difficult to figure out how do I figure out scoring? And it was when I moved to the player mat system, because originally it was all cards that you, 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 your actions were your cards. So it was like a draw, it was like a deck builder type thing. When I got rid of that and I made the player mats, it like broke the whole paradigm. Like it was a huge shift, I guess is what I should say, right? Like I suddenly realized I have opportunities right here where people like the actions that they're doing and the way that they're investing their themselves into the game will be able to provide them points. We don't have to track things. Like I took this action, I take two points. I did this thing, I take three points, right? Like that whole concept could just leave and you could actually like use the things you're investing and you, and now you could say, okay, I have this choice. I can invest in more power or I can invest in points. And if I invest in points too early, I might not have enough power to be able to, to fully maximize my points. But if I invest in power too much, I'm going to waste too much of my wisdom and I won't be able to convert it into points later, right? So there's this tension that was like brought into the game. There was just this beautiful uh, marriage where it was this it, like players had complete control, right? Like they got to decide, I want the power. I'm going to take that power. Or like, no, I'm doing really well with my shrines. I'm going to invest in shrines, even though it means I'm not going to be as powerful. And so it wasn't the game wasn't di- dictating these arbitrary s- scores um, the players were are now like 100% in control of uh, what their end score is going to be. And they can only blame themselves if it's low. It's because like you invested in your power. But you know what? Investing in power is fun. Maybe that's what you wanted to do and you didn't want to win the game because like <laughs> having the powers is so much fun to just play because you have you know more power. You can do more things, which actually could turn into points, <laughs> you know, because you were able to do more than the other guy. So therefore... You're, you know, you're anyway, but that's part of the, the game is, uh, anyway, so that was, sorry, Whew, I keep going on these tangents <laughs> to answer your question directly, uh, figuring out scoring. That was a huge hurdle. It took a long time and a lot of different, I tried so many different ways to make scoring work. Um, but where it's at now, I'm thrilled by, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's like, it just balances wonderfully. Nice. Um, and then uh, the solo mode, like figuring out how to get a two-player game and a one-player game working uh, took a whole, that was a huge, huge challenge uh, because the whole game is based on threes. So you basically need to have three people playing in order for like the systems to actually work. And so figuring out how like, okay, so if you have two people playing, how do you, how do you still make that? How do, how do you facilitate that? And then same with one person, right? If you have one person playing, how do you facilitate you know, a game that's mimicking as if three people were playing. And that was a huge uh, exploration. It took many months, many, many, many moons to figure that one out. And a lot of different attempts and approaches. But again, the system that's in place now, it like, it does exactly what it needs to do. And it's so again, so like cool. it's thrilling. It's just like thrilling for me to play it, even though some people will play it and they, they, you know, they don't understand the system and they may say, um, like, I don't understand why this is shifting this thing, but I can tell you exactly why it's doing it because like, it absolutely has to happen 
you know, they have to develop this way in this order or with like this much uh, frequency um, in order for this game to work because there's there's a balance of multiple mechanics that all have to work in sync in order for the game to flow. And players do it naturally because it's just part of the game. But right. Able to create an automa that's also able to replicate, like making that machine run, that was a that was a huge hurdle. But again, I'm like I, I love I love where it ended. So it's that whole puzzle of figuring out how it works, right? It is. Maybe that's what I just love is uh, approaching these challenges and like conquering them. I think I remember. I I'm pretty sure that I was paying attention at that point when you were developing the automa. And it was really fascinating for to see people's response to it. I never, I haven't tried the automate yet. I really should, but it was cool to see in the Discord people being like, "Oh, this this is really funky. This is really funky." And then, like a week later, I mean, actually, you're so quick on things. It was sometimes it was like days, a day or two later, and they would try it again, and they're like, "Holy cow! Like this is coming together really well." Like this part was still just a little bit weird and it seemed like a really, you probably had been working on it for months at that point anyway. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits of having like a digital, like putting it on a, like I had it up, I have it up on Tabletopia and that's one of the biggest benefits for the game development process, right? Because like someone could play it, give me feedback and I could change it that night and they could play it again an hour later and it, and yeah. it would be changed and fixed. Right. And so, um, you can't do that with a physical game, right? Like you're, you know, first off, you have to drop it off somewhere. Someone's got to play the thing. Then you're going to have to, you know, sync back up. And then you have to make physical changes. It's just, it's just the process is so much longer. And, and it's all because of having it on a, on a digital platform that iteration can happen so fast. And, but yeah, totally. Like, uh, um, once, once I figured out what the, what the key mechanics were that needed, you know, basically what are my levers, to make this thing work. It took a while to get to that point where I realized I absolutely need development needs to be happening. Studying needs to be happening. Some sort of map manipulation needs to be happening. Mountain forming needs to be happening. Removing tiles needs to be happening and ascending the ziggurat needs to be happening. Once I understood that there's those six things that have to happen with the automa, then it was just a matter of like how frequently, right? Like dialing it up or dialing it down. If it happens too frequently, they'll just like blow you out of the water. Like there's just no way to compete or they'll go too fast or, or they'll go too slow if it's not happening, you know? And so it was just like play, 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 play. And then I I would keep track of every single factor in a game, like how things played out, um, all the, all the scores, like how many things occurred. And then I would track that and say, okay, it's happening too frequently. Dial this down. Or is this happening? Like not enough. Dial it up. Yeah, and it was able to happen like so quick, right? Because I could just get feedback, like, "Oh, this your game went this way. Oh, that's interesting. I can make that change right now because I already I, I already know what's causing that to happen, and I can just I can you know make that adjustment and then let's play it again and see if it still happens." So, yeah, you had this at Protocon, and it was very popular. Protocon's a a convention here in Utah that's focused on just like prototyping essentially, and and there's a lot of different levels of people who were ready for Kickstarter or people who like had a very base idea and just were bringing it. But uh, yours was very popular there and I didn't get to see it. I think I remember seeing a crowded table, which was probably you. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, yeah, with Protocon, it was really funny because I had signed up. Um, I had wanted to. I, I was expecting to play one game with two people. I wanted. I all I wanted were like two player games because I was testing the Ottawa at the time. I was like trying to figure oh. things out. And so, what I wanted in terms of like play testing was like two player games. And it's really hard to get like at a convention, like one player games, like for one person to play solo. Like it's so hard to get people to play solo. If they're, if they're not like into solo gaming, they're like, nah, you know, they don't want to do it. So I was looking for two player games. And uh, yeah, as soon as the the event started um, immediately. So on the sheet, it still had four slots and the event started and like those four slots were full and then people were writing their name below. So I had another four slots full and then I had another four slots full and then I had another four slots full. And so, yeah, there's a lot of interest in, in playing it. And so I think, I think, I think there were like four games that I ran that day. Um, but I was expecting one, 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 two player game. I was expecting to be able to like walk around and play other people's games and like actually be part of the event. And instead it was more of like, all right, let's find a table. So you four can play. Let's set you up. I'll explain what's going on. Okay, go. Um, which is good, right? It's because it get people are able to, it, it, it has, again, it has really unique mechanics that, um, especially for game designers, when they see them, they're like ideas, right? Like, oh, ideas, like, that's interesting. What can I do with that, right? Because there's, yeah. you know, there's things that you can do with the things that I'm doing um, in, in Oros that could inspire new concepts. And so I think game designers are like really excited to see, you know, see how those things were working because it was a good event. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. I, I'm sad you didn't get to test your Automa there, I guess, but it worked out in the end. <laughs> it, 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 honestly, like doing the like doing the Automa testing online was way better than in like because I had been testing Automa for a long time in person, you know, and trying to get people, and it was going so slow, oh, so slow, and and keeping track of all of the stats and stuff, it was just really difficult. As soon as that moved online, uh, huge different like that that did it right. So it was actually really good. It was, it was good. Did you bring it online because of the pandemic or were you already working on it before that? Well, it's part of, uh, yes, yes. The, the pandemic, absolutely. And that's what really like drove me to like figure out how to build this thing. I'm now like a tabletopia master. I know all the, all the <laughs> secrets. Um, cause uh, I definitely had to learn a lot there. Um, but also like if you're running a, uh, your game on Kickstarter, you, 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 you're going to need it. You, you will need it digitally um, because you'll want to engage with a lot of the digital communities that are playtesting games. Um, that's where they're going to become familiar with it. And you're going to get some excellent feedback that you just can't get other places, right? Because you're, you're playing with people all over the world from all sorts of different backgrounds with all, you know, with uh, all sorts of different interests uh, rather than like your friends, your family and your local you know, your, your local crew, um, you, you, you just, you, you, you kind of have to have it if you want, if you're going to vet your game, like really vet your game for a Kickstarter, but then also you need it available. So people who are interested in backing the game, um, a majority of them, they want to see it in action, right? So they'll want to see you demoing it or they'll want to open it themselves and try playing a game. And so Again, I knew it had to be up there at some point. May as well build it now, take advantage of it, and definitely do not regret doing that. Like it's it is Good. definitely worth the effort to to get your game online. Yeah, and to make it pretty too. Like I took the time to like all of the real design 
put it in there, right? And that's that also draws people in. That's actually how a lot of people, I have a number of reviewers, I, I asked them, like, how did you find me? Like, how, how in the world did you hear about this? And they said, oh, I was just scrolling through Tabletopia randomly. Oh, cool. And I saw the cover in it and it made me interested. So I clicked on it and I found out that you're like some random no-name indie designer that nobody knows about <laughs> with this game that's like, Brilliant. Unlike anything. Yeah. Unlike anything that I've ever played. And I've played thousands of games, you know, and and I'm like, wow, okay, cool. You know, (laughs) like that's pretty, that's pretty good. Like, so having the artwork in place too, it's been really helpful to draw like the people in. And then when they see the mechanics in the game, they're like, oh, like this is even better than I was expecting. So. And we haven't even talked about that. And I know that the player board artwork has been updated since I, well, I've seen the updated artwork and it's beautiful. Like, Back then when I played it, beautiful. Now, beautiful. Like, I just, <laughs> you do such a great job with the artwork. It is very drawing. I think people will, on Kickstarter, you know, people who who don't know about it will scroll by and be like, whoa, what's that? Hello. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. That's, that's the hope. And, and the artwork is different than what you'd expect in a board game. So, again, I took a completely yes. different approach. And I guess that's the theme here. I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> go against the flow of everything do everything yeah. the opposite way but like board games usually have you know this very uh painterly epic cinematic fantasy type artwork that's that's very standard right like that's, that's what you expect to see it uses a lot of uh pseudomorphism which is taking things that are in like real materials in real life and then trying to replicate them in in visual things you know so you'll have you know this is a fantasy uh, this is a you know, some sort of medieval theme. And so we'll have gilded golden things with shiny steel things, you know, and, and, and we'll try to use that in the artwork. With Oros, the the artwork is all flat vector. And so it's it's a completely different style than you usually see. I mean, there's a few games like Villagers and uh, um, Machikoro. And, you know, there are a few games yeah. who use this style. Uh, Fantastic Factories uses a vector style. But this is like, it has more illustration. It has more personality in the illustration. It, it's not like just icon- like iconic looking, which is what you'd normally get with like a vector looking illustration style, where it just feels like there's the person and they feel very iconic. With mine, it's still very, it has a lot of expression. It has a lot of personality. It has a lot of little like, quirkiness to it but there's a lot of color and it's still it's still like full scene artwork right and so it's very bright very colorful but it doesn't look like other games so again yeah. it's, like, it's one of those things that's like whoa hold on that's different and um i think that's actually been helping me just have people find it you know as they see it they're like oh, you know it catches their attention they say that's that's different i i should at least explore and then usually when they do they hopefully they're pleasantly surprised <laughs> yes, I can tell you that this was definitely in my top three games last year that I played like nice. very, very easily. And it it could be top. I would say top two, at least. <laughs> so and I played a lot of games last year because that was like, <laughs> it was pandemic. <laughs> but it was yeah, I was just blown away with it. And I'm really excited to see how much it's progressed since then. Um, but yeah. we'll definitely play. We'll definitely play together. Yeah. So definitely go right now while you're listening to this, go and look on Kickstarter, go check out the artwork, check out videos, go play it on tabletopia. You know, like it, it really will blow you away. This game is phenomenal. 
Awesome. Thank you yeah. for making it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, thanks. Thanks for promoting it. Thanks for letting me come on. Um, yeah. yeah if, uh, I don't know if podcasts usually have links with them, but if yes. you're looking for the game, uh, it's called o- Oros, O-R-O-S, and that's by Ash Games, which is not spelled how you would expect it to be. It uses the uh, the old Elder Futhark character of the Ash character, which is the A-E. So it's A-E-S-C Games. But, nerd. Uh, <laughs> nerd time. I always um, tease you about <laughs> how you know, I, like, you know I can nerd out. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but you can go to ashgames.com. Like I said, A-E-S-C games.com. And there's a whole big old page, big, like the whole thing's about Oros right now. So you can learn all about it. There's links to the Kickstarter, links to Facebook, links to Instagram, links to BGG, links to Tabletopia, all the links, all the places um, you can get everywhere you need to go. So uh, that's a good place to, to start. And then, uh, uh, yeah, Kickstarter goes live Janu- July 20th. Yeah, so, three days ago from when this will air. I think. Buckle up. Is it? Yeah. There you go. All right. Do you have any, I mean, at this point, it's not really a preview for people, but is there anything about the Kickstarter, like ordering it through Kickstarter or, uh, uh, you know, stretch goals, all that stuff? Do you have all that stuff in mind? Yeah, so I've got some fun campaign plans. Um, we've got stretch goals planned out, um, but they're not, I, I don't call them stretch goals. Again, I'm taking a completely different approach <laughs> than everything else uh, because what stretch goals really are are growth incentives. And so I'm actually calling them what, they're, what they really are. Um, the, the purpose of stretch goals is, uh, you know, once you've reached a certain point, so with most campaigns, what happens is there's a big spike at the beginning, right? And then it tapers down. And then it's usually flat lines pretty much. And you, you'll still say growth, but it's pretty flat um, throughout the, the middle part of the campaign. And then it will spike again right at the end. And so the purpose of stretch goals is to give moments to like, you know, infuse, you know, just keep the, the campaign infused with interesting content. And so, and so uh, it's not really about making, it is about like making the game better and more exciting for people, right? Because people have invested in it, but really it's about getting the people who've invested to share it and bring more people in, right? It's, it's an incentive for growth because if the campaign grows, then we get some good stuff. And so we've got a whole bunch of those planned. So we'll be using those throughout the middle of the campaign to give some fun things. And then there are also uh, three reveals, the weekly reveals that will be happening. And so fun little surprises that people don't, uh, ex- I don't think people are going to be expecting at all. Um, <laughs> that uh, uh, will also be like good moments to, to share and have the campaign kind of like have a little moment of boost and excitement. So each Friday, we've got a, a reveal that's going to pop up and add add a little bit more to the game or to the campaign. So, Ooh, so yeah, it's a lot of plans and I'm excited to carry them out. Hopefully, you know, people are as excited about them as I am because yeah, <laughs> I am. I re- like, I think I've pestered you a bit about like, Hey, when's this coming to Kickstarter? Hey, when's this coming? You know, like, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Cause it was originally going to be late last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then you couldn't hit that. You'd wanted to get it in before December because December is the worst month to do a Kickstarter. Well, I, you know, have never, having never done a Kickstarter, you have these assumptions of like, this has got to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> a few months. I can do this in a few months. That is not the case at all. I've been working on this Kickstarter for almost like 18 months, 16, 16, 18 months, um, just to get the Kickstarter ready. And even now I'm like, Oof, I would, happy to take another two months on this, you know, like it'd be really great, but there's certain things that like this won't happen until you're close to your date. 
and that's where I get stressed. And so even though I'd love to have that time, like I still, those things wouldn't have happened until the later date anyway, which, you know, so there's just no way around it. Um, It takes a lot. You got to launch sometime. (laughs) At at some point. Right. And that's when the, and that's when people are going to start reaching out for certain things like localization, distribution, manufacturing, like there's just certain things that will happen close to your launch date. And so there's just no way around it. So no matter where you put it, there's going to be stressful weeks leading up to your launch. Um, Yeah. uh, But uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes, uh, you know, to get everything in place. It takes either you need a a lot of people working for you, doing a lot of things and and, in sync or, or you just need a lot of time to do it because it's, there's an extreme amount of, of work that goes into making sure everything goes off with a hitch. So without a hitch, I guess was the metaphor. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Is this 100% just you or do you have a team at all? Uh, I, I'll say it's 99% me. I, I do have uh, a few people who have stepped in and that have been helping. I have a colleague at my, my regular day job uh, who has been just stepping in and helping a ton, helping running like, like social some, some social things and taking a lot of that like social content off of my shoulders because like that alone is very stressful. And then another guy from the guild, Ammon Anderson, who, who's been great with just, uh, coordinating things, giving cons- consulting on things, helping to line up certain things. So, so yeah, he's been involved in like just helping uh, on the backside, but everything you see visually and like everything about the campaign, the whole page, all of the content there. Uh, yeah, that's like, it's all, it's all been mine. All the videos, all the renderings, all the artwork, all of the, the, the whole campaign plan, you know, like all that stuff. It's yeah. just me, right? And so there's only so much I can do in a day um, without losing my mind. So um, <laughs> it's taking time, right? It takes time to do it. So hopefully people recognize that and, and like are, are uh, you know, willing to be, be kind about the fact that like, I, I, you know, I can't just respond to everything immediately and I can't just do everything immediately because it's just me. Yeah, absolutely. We are almost out of time. I know you've got a meeting. What do you do outside of board games? Let me give you a clip. Here we go. This is what I do outside of board games. Right now, nothing. Right now, I'm working (laughs) almost like 16 hours a day to make make Oros happen because I have a day job and I have this job. And so, and both of those things have to balance. And this, this job, especially the last few weeks, has consumed all free time, right? And so, um, and even, even my, I, like, I feel so bad because my wife and family, they're like, oh, you're still down. Oh, you're like, you know, I, they go to bed and I'm in my office and they wake up and I'm in my office and I'm working <laughs> um, basically all day long. So when I'm not doing this and what I am very much looking forward to doing once this campaign ends and I actually can have like free time again. Um, I, I love being in the outdoors. It's one of the reasons why we moved back to Utah. We were living in Chicago for a really long time. We moved back here, but because I, I love the mountains and it makes a whole lot of sense that I made a game about mountains because I, I really, really genuinely love being up in the mountains. I love hiking, climbing, uh, ascending to this, the peaks of uh, mountains, love mountain biking, just being outdoors, uh, playing sports, uh, do a lot of Frisbee golf, things like that during the summer um, that, you know, just love being outdoors. Uh, so uh, as the pandemic kind of drove everybody inside, um, which was really beneficial because it kind of focused my, my production of this game. And, but, uh, yeah, right now, I, right now it gets to the point where my wife's like, you need to go outside. You haven't been outside for like four or five days. So you probably need to like (laughs) take a, take a walk around the block or something. Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, because this has just been kind of consuming, but there you go. 
Wonderful. Love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. It has been almost a week since I recorded with Brant, and the Kickstarter is live. So check the show notes. There's a link to it, and you can back it. Right now it's at $92,000. It is doing phenomenally. And three stretch goals have been unlocked, which are, I'm going to tell you, spoiler, added silk screen to all follower pieces, which looks gorgeous, and it has... And it has the demigod symbols on their chest. So it is really cool looking. The board upgrade, which upgrades from a 1.5 millimeter to a 2 millimeter. The action planning and tracking foresight tiles. So it helps you keep track of your actions. Kind of just a nice convenience thing, especially for new players. The next goal at 95,000, we're less than 3,000 away from it is add spot UV to all player mats. And that's only available in the collector's edition, which I am backing at the collector's level. I wish I could have done the gold leaf one or even the silver leaf one. There's one that has like gold, actual gold or actual silver lining the pieces and the board and just components. And I'm blown away. That would be so incredible to have. So after the player mat one, there is going to be demigod tokens that would take the place of the demigod standees. They're not standees, but they're like figures, something like that. I don't know what you would call them. I'm sure that they have them called it something, and I just can't remember. Anyways, they look really good. Those are only available. They're wooden, and they're only available in the collector's edition. And then the next one is adding linen to all Automa cards which would make them a bit nicer. So I am super duper excited about this. I am I am just, I've been pestering Brant about when this is going to Kickstarter ever since I played it pretty much because I want it. I want it on my shelf. I want it on my table. Go check the episode description for the link to the Kickstarter or just go search Oros, O-R-O-S. Uh, you can look at the episode notes, the episode details for more information, the website, the Kickstarter, the Twitter, whatever else. Speaking of which, you can follow me on Twitter at Nerd Out With Us. And if you want to have a guest on the show or if you want to come on the get on the show as a guest, you can at me, DM me, or email me at the board game community show at gmail.com. If you liked the show, I sure would appreciate a review. Uh, they help the podcast gets seen more and and I would love for more people to be able to listen to the show. First of all, I mean, that would be very flattering to me, but also it's very fun to get to know all these really cool people on the show. And hopefully you all are getting to know new people, which is kind of the goal behind this all. Uh, and if more people are listening, then they might be like, hey, I want to come on the show. This seems great. So that would be great. And if you love the show, recommend it to your friends, your family that you might think may enjoy this type of show. Or if you hate it, then recommend it to your frenemies. And then they wouldn't know. They don't know that, you know, they're frenemies or that you hate them secretly. And that's why you're having them listen to this. Bo-ha-ha. Brant, as you can imagine, super duper busy with this 
campaign did not have time to do a ridiculous theme. So maybe he will another time. But while editing, I thought, ooh, I've got a great idea based on just what we're talking about. He talked about how he likes doing Frisbee golf. And I think it would be fun and ridiculous to have a Frisbee golf board game. As I thought more and more about it, I was like, oh, how can I make that work, actually? And you could have it be like a flicking game. Do you call that a dexterity game if it's just flicking? I think so. I don't know. And so you flick a Frisbee across a field, and then you could have cards that you would play before you flick the Frisbee that might be like, I'm going to put a little English on this. I don't know Frisbee terms, but, you know, like I'm going to try and make it spin to the left or make it come back. And so you can play these cards before you flick and say, come back two spaces or or spin to the left a space. And so wherever the disc lands, the Frisbee lands after you move it that one space or two spaces, whatever the card was that you played before. And and that would be part of the fun of it. I haven't played Frisbee golf in like 10 years. So who knows how accurate that is? <laughs> Anyways, a ridiculous theme game based on Brant and I's conversation. Also, you can hear Brant on the newest episode of Organized Fun, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And Phil was a guest on the show and and both Phil and Mark were on our Bunkers and Badasses episodes. Uh, so much fun. Their interview came out yesterday, and it is great. They asked some really good questions. They played the game, so there's clips of them playing the game. They discussed the game with Brant, and, and it's just it's a really, really good dive into the game. So I highly recommend going and listening to that. Protocon Online is coming up August 28th. So go sign up. There is a link to the Discord in the episode description. That's going to be your best way to sign up. Whether you just want to play some cool new games and give some feedback to designers and help them better their game, or if you are a designer and you want to have your game there, you can sign up as well. Join the Discord and you can just ask, how do I sign up as a player? How do I sign up as a designer? All right. Thank you so much. Until next time. Keep nerding out.